ask right now, through the power of your Holy Spirit, that you would break down preconceived ideas of who you are to us in this service today. Right now, that you would break down walls in our hearts and our lives that separate us from your love, from comprehending and receiving that love that goes beyond comprehension, that love that that uh, is more than we can wrap our minds around. God, that, be, that surpasses our natural reason. God, I just pray that we would worship you today beyond reason. That we would receive for you, from you today beyond reason. You know, I love, it's a two-edged sword. I love being in worship when the presence of the Lord comes in so strong that you just know it's Him. The flip side of that is you don't always know what to do. You know, when he's here, it's uh, undeniable that he's here. But then knowing what to do when you know he's here, sometimes it's not as simple. Because I don't want to rush ahead of him. I I have something that that I want to share, but I don't want to miss him. I don't want to miss what he's doing in this moment. I want to see Jesus. Do you understand what I'm saying? Jesus, when he walked on the scene, he said, I only do what I see my father doing. You with me? So Jesus took time to recognize what God was doing in a moment. And it was in that moment when he saw what the Father was doing that he would speak and he would have 100% success. I believe that's his heart for us as well. Amen. I believe that's his heart for us as well, that we don't have to be like the kid in the dark room that keeps bumping into the walls. But that as we pursue him, that we know his voice in such a way that we feel his prompting, we feel his leading. And, you know, even as we were in worship, the Lord gave Joshua a word and it said, I'm stretching your hearing. I'm going to speak through your, your senses. Uh, touch, taste, see what you hear and what you smell. He says, when you think I can't hear you, I'm speaking to you through a new source. I'm always speaking. And that's Hebrews. Hebrews 5, 14. But solid food belongs to those who are of full age. That, that is, those who by reason of use have their what? Senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Does that make sense? He said that those who are of full age have uh, their senses exercised. Anybody ever... Uh, Started exercising when you haven't been exercising in a while. I'm not looking at you, honey. Don't look at me like that. When you start exercising and you have not been exercising, do your senses speak to you? (laughs) Nathan said, yeah, he's telling him to give up. It's not worth it, I promise. I know the other side, and it's just not worth it. (laughs) Your senses, you know what? Your doctor can tell you from medical fact that it is to your benefit that you do this. But if you're led, if you allow those senses to override what you can know to be fact, you won't do it. Are you with me? You can have facts in your life, and God, through your senses, can tell you, I've got something that supersedes the facts. (laughs) But you've got to believe and press into me. It was so awesome. We were in the the DR, and uh, 
one of the things that we would do is we would just ask people, have you ever felt the presence of God? Have you ever felt the presence of God? And they would say no. And then we would just invite him to come. We would invite the tangible presence of the Lord to come. And he, he would. See, you, if you're getting a little wigged in that, it's okay. That's good. Sometimes we've got to learn new stuff to, to unlearn the stuff that we've just been taught through tradition. We don't command him to come. We invite him. And you know what? He's a friend that sticks closer than a brother. And it's just like, see, if we see him as a taskmaster that's waiting to uh, put a judgment on us, we won't be excited when he comes. But if we see him as who he is, a friend, then we get excited when we invite a friend and we say, hey, would you come over? They say, yes. You go, oh, man, my friend's coming. I love it when my friend, you know, Malia is so cute. When she was a little younger, she may still do this, but when Malia was a little younger, she was like, can we come to your house today? She wouldn't wait for an invitation. She loved to be with friends, and she would just say, can we come to your house today? I said, do you ask your mom and dad? No, but I'm asking you. Can we come to your house today, friend? I want to be with you, friend. Can we come be with you, friend? And when we invite a friend and they come, that makes us happy, right? When we invite him, he's happy. Because you know what's so amazing? He's here. He's already here. Our inviting him doesn't get him to come out of heaven and come. He's here. But what he says is when you invite me, I'm allowed to manifest myself to you, to demonstrate just who I really am. And you know what? He's bigger than this book. I want you to understand something. Today's the day we're going to stretch our minds and our spirits. We're going to stretch he will never do anything to contradict this book, but he's not bound by this book. That means he does things that may not be written in this book, and that doesn't mean it's anti-biblical. It just means it's extra-biblical. I know, that hurts, right? It hurt, it'll, hurt, it'll kill a religious devil in a minute. Because it's not a box. Because I want everything in my life in a box so that it's safe, so I know how to control it, and if it gets out of hand, I just put a lid on it. That's not who he is. You say, you can't prove that. John's gospel said, I suppose if everything that Jesus both said and did were written down, the world itself could not contain the gospels, would not contain the books. That's in John's gospel, the end of John's gospel. It says, I suppose if everything that Jesus said and did was written down, the world itself couldn't, control, couldn't contain the books. So did he do more than's contained in this book? Yes. Is he, Hebrews 13, 8, is he the same yesterday, today, and forever? So can he still do stuff that's not contained in this book? You guys are awesome. You get an A. You get an A. That's some people's first A in their whole life. <laughs> God is alive. I got an A. They go home and call mom. Mom, I got an A today. I'm happy. You happy? I'm happy. I'm happy because he's alive. I got papers sticking in. 
We, we was in the DR, and they wouldn't even use my Bible. When the translator wanted my Bible, they wouldn't take my Bible because I got paper stuck in everywhere. They said, no, if they flip it open, stuff will fly everywhere. <laughs> Man, it excites me because he, he still speaks. He still speaks. And I, what I said earlier, I want to reiterate it and, and use it as a, a foundation, a segue into what I want to speak on today, but I said earlier that I believe God wants us to see us like he sees us. And you know what? If you have a religious mindset and you don't know who Jesus is, if all you know is who he's been taught to you, but you don't know him personally, that will scare the bejesus out of you. To say, for me to see me like he sees me, I know how I see me, and, and he's God who knows everything And that statement's only relevant if you don't have relationship with him because then you're still seen in sin. Not because it's his desire, but it's because of your rejection of his gift. Amen. I'll shout myself down. But once we receive him, old things have passed away, all things have become new. You know, I've said this before. I'm just going to, I believe when we finish today, you'll love me or hate me. I don't think there'll be a lot of middle ground. Because <laughs> I just, I, I feel if, as we move forward in the next few weeks, I'm going to begin. Today I'm going to lay a foundation. Next few weeks I'm going to start talking about the core values of this house, who we are, and what, what that means to us, and what that looks like because of who we are. Right? If you have core values, it ought to be seen in your life, Right? And one that I want to dispel right now is this myth, because I said we can invite him to come and he'll come. I don't believe we command him to come. I don't believe we command angels to go. It's, I'm not going to get into the angel thing today. But I don't believe that our fasting and prayer moves God, because here's my statement. God's not stuck. What I believe in the area of fasting and prayer is that what fasting and prayer does is it prepares our heart to hear what he's already saying so that we then can be a vessel that his will is poured through. I mean, if you think about it as plain as it can be, it's very arrogant of us to think that I can pray hard enough to change God's mind because I think better of my country or, my, or, or someone else's situation than he does. That I'm more willing for there to be change in their lives than he is. Or that I'm more willing for America to wake up and quit sliding into apostasy. That my fasting, my prayer, or our church's fasting and prayer is going to shift God's mind to go, you know what, maybe I will bless them. No, he said if if he didn't hold back his son, his only son, how will he not with him freely what? Give us all things. But I do believe this, that in fasting and in prayer, all right, let me just go ahead, and while I'm on talking on fasting and prayer, the man, I think it's Matthew, I was just reading it yesterday, this morning, where the man brought his demoniac son to the disciples, and they couldn't do anything about it, and then Jesus comes down, and he said, Jesus, if you can do anything, will you heal my son? He said, uh, if you can believe... All things are possible. He said, I believe, help my unbelief. You know what I'm talking about? 
Then Jesus cast the devil out of the young man. He's whole. He says, I speak to you, deaf and dumb spirit. He didn't say health condition. He said, you deaf and dumb spirit, I speak to you. And Jesus, and he, and Jesus cast out the spirit. And his disciples came to him and they said, why couldn't we do it? And Jesus said, because of, he said this, this kind comes out by prayer and fasting. Now, here's what religion is taught. Religion is taught that there's only, that some devils, you got to fast and pray to get them out. But if you study the context, that passage of scripture, it's also in Mark's gospel. That's what I was looking for. It's in Mark chapter 9 and in Mark, and Matthew chapter 17. And in Mark 9, it's not as much detail it says this kind comes out only by prayer and fasting. But in Matthew's gospel right here, it's more detailed. So look at Matthew, Matthew chapter 17. Matthew 17, look at verse 20. And Jesus, that verse, uh, let me back up. And Jesus rebuked the demon and it came out of him and child was cured from the very hour. The disciples came to Jesus privately and said, why could we not cast it out? So Jesus said to them, because of what? Your unbelief. For surely I say to you that if you have faith as a mustard seed, you will say this mountain, move from here to there, and it will, be, it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. So Jesus clearly says here, it's because of your unbelief. So what does prayer and fasting get out? It gets out unbelief. It'll get out unbelief so that when we pray, when we make a declaration, when we minister, we're not ministering from faith and unbelief. We're ministering from faith. Are you with me? I want us to understand. I, I, and here, so, so people say this. Well, I know that every revival was preceded by times of prayer and fasting. And to me, that's not like, oh, man, how do you answer that? I go, duh. Of course. You know why? Because vessels who had the power of God on the inside of them, got connected to the power. And so they went out and they began to see revival happen. You can't find one place in Scripture where Jesus told his disciples, fast and pray so that we can go into this town and my power will move. I'm sorry. I'm not sorry. I'm not sorry. Because I... I I believe that as we believe, that revival is what happens as a result of our believing. It's not a work that we produce through all the stuff that we do right. It's us preparing a vessel for the glory of God that it habitates in. It doesn't come and go. That we become a habitation of God. So everywhere we go, we are a walk in revival that we're sensitive to who he is and what he's saying. Are you with me? And as, as we understand his amazing love for us, then we're not concerned about how we're received because we've already received the greatest love of all, and that's his love. And here's what that looks like. 1 John, 1 John chapter 4, no, chapter 3. Listen to this, verse John 1 John 3.21 says, Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence toward God. And whatever we ask, we receive from Him because we keep His commandments and do those things which are pleasing in His sight. And this is His commandment, 
that we should believe on the name of his son, Jesus, and love one another as he gave us commandments. So for those who say, yep, yep, see, he said we got to keep his commandments. He said, and this is his commandment, what? Believe on his son. Believe on his son. And when you believe on his son, the product, the fruit of believing on his son is you love one another. That's pretty awesome. And he said, in that, you're keeping my commandment. Not the Big Ten. You're keeping the commandment because he came to restore relationship back to man. See, that's seeing us like he sees us. That's different than what many have been taught. If our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence toward God. And that... Okay, let me just say one other thing in John. I'm in, I'm in 1 John chapter 4 now, verse 9. In this, is, in this the love of God was manifested toward us, that God has sent his only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through him. Verse 10. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation. That's a big word that means to be the payment or the sacrifice for our sins. Verse 16, here's the key. And we have known and believed the love that God has for us. God is love, and he who abides in love abides in God, and God in him. Verse 18, verse 17, love has been perfected among us in this, that we might have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. (laughs) Did it say as he was or as he is? As he Current, right? Not past tense, present, right? As he is. So this isn't even, ta- listen, this isn't even talking about what we saw Jesus do when he was on earth because this says as he is right now. How is he right now? He's ascended on high in authority and in power at the right hand of God the Father. Is he fully accepted where he is right now? Absolutely. Man, he's so good. He said, verse 18, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear because fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. So he wants us to understand how he sees us, and he sees us in his love. He said, if our heart doesn't condemn us, we have what? Confidence toward God. So I want to submit to you today. That fasting and prayer doesn't make us acceptable to God. But what it does is it causes us to fashion our eyes just on Him and to see who He is and how much He really loves us. And it's then that our hearts don't condemn us, and it's then that we'll walk in faith. I mean that you have to fast and pray to walk in faith. That's not what I'm saying. But if there's an area in your life where you're struggling with doubt and unbelief, that's an area that you can fast and pray and say, God, I want to know your heart for me in this area. Amen. That's good. Y'all excited about that one? So I'm going to give you our vision statement. We crafted our vision statement in our last leaders meeting. I had made a statement earlier about, hey, we're going to do our core values, and here's our mission statement about being a local expression of the family of God. And 
And in our leadership meeting, it just kind of got torn apart, which is good. I told him, I said, this isn't a sacred cow. Are you with me? I want to communicate clearly what God is saying and who we are. Out of what I said, I want us to, I want us to see what is God saying. Because I, I know in my heart, and I, so I explained the sentence, and they said, well, I understand what you're saying, but it can be clearer. And I said, okay, let's, let's do it. So here it is. And you know what's so amazing? Different ones gave different pieces, and when, the, when it just came out, I knew it right away. It wasn't like I had to go back and memorize it. And see, here's what I believe a mission, a vision, vision statement needs to be. It needs to be something that, that locates us, it tells who we are and says, hey, I want to be a part of that. Are you with me? So here it is. It's creating a culture where the heart of God is known and the will of God is manifested. That'll be on our website soon. As far as the vision of the River Fellowship, it's creating a culture where the heart of God is known and the will of God is manifested. Because until you know the heart of God, you'll never manifest His will because you don't know what it is. You can't know His will apart from His heart. It's impossible. And what's sad is that the, the organized religion, I'll say it that way, for many years has tried to be obedient about doing what they thought was the will of God and never even knew his heart. And that's not who I want us to be. Who I want us to be is I want us to have a culture. And we're going to break these things down. Um, create a culture where the heart of, creating a culture where the heart of God is known and the will of God is manifested. So creating a culture. We are created in the image of a creator, right? I'll just go to the book of beginnings. This is a good place to start. <laughs> Genesis 1-2, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Verse 26, then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female. He created them. Then God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that lives, that moves on the earth. God doesn't have an uh, authority complex. He just knows who he is. And when he created men, he created them to know who they were. He didn't say, all right, guys, I've put you here. Do the best you can. If it looks like you're losing, it's okay. Just do the best you can. No, that's not what he said. He said, I put you on earth. Be fruitful, multiply. So what he's saying is you be fruitful and take over this place that I've put you on. And I've given you authority to subdue it. Everything that has breath in it is under you. <laughs> that's pretty amazing. That's whose image we're creating. So when we start talk about creating a culture, what we're saying is we're going to create a mindset, a belief system that says we know who God is, and this is what it looks like. 
And I believe creating a culture starts with our, our youngest kids. I'm so excited that, that our uh, children's ministry and everything is just really tracking with, with full force right now. I'm so excited about that. One of the things that we're, Steve and I have talked about, and I've mentioned to Abby, but not in detail, that we're going to start doing, Abby, so you might want to write this down. <laughs> She's over here. She's over here. I'm not looking at her. Is we're going to start a folder for every kid in our toddler room. And when, when God highlights a gift in them or something, if God gives a prophetic word to one of our teachers or something like that, we're going to write it down and put it in that folder. And that folder will follow them from there till they get, graduate high school as long as they're in the church. If they leave the church, we'll give them the folder. Now, if, we, if they leave the church, this folder, all their prophetic words stays in the river. <laughs> Your kid had destiny, but you just snatched them right out of it. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I know places that do that, though. <clears throat> I'm serious. That's sad. Anyway, not going to be distracted. Squirrel. But we're going to, so that we cannot just say we believe that our kids have prophetic destiny over them. One of the things that we're going to do today is is pray over our kids. Don't even forget that. School starting back this week for uh, Alamance County, and uh, we want to pray over our kids before they start back. Just declare the destiny of God over them uh, before they start back to school. But it's to, that we have a foundation because the way you shift the culture is not just telling people what you want them to think. It's bringing them to an experience of a God who's bigger than they are, and that, that experience becomes a practical part of their life. So then everyone who comes in who who's, has a belief system contrary to that or experience contrary to that, it's not that we have to indoctrinate them. It's we bring them in to encounter the same God that we know. Are you with me? Because that's what he talked, when in, this, in this statement it says, creating a culture where the heart of God is known. Culture means this, beliefs, customs, uh, beliefs and customs of, of a particular society, group, or place. It means um, the set of shared attitudes, values, goals, and practices that characterizes uh, an institution or organization. So when we talk about a culture, it's a set of uh, shared attitudes, values, and goals, and practices. See, here's where I think that we, as a, a body of believers, not necessarily in the river, but as a whole, in the world, it's a bold statement, have missed it, is there's a lot of things that we acknowledge mentally, but few things that we practice practically. <laughs> Let's just say a lot of that in a minute. So here's what I mean. We can believe that there are principles and concepts of the Word of God that are true, but there's no practical expression of that truth in our lives. We can believe the Bible says uh, that did or did not Jesus say to his disciples that these signs will follow them that believe. In my name, they'll lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. They'll cast out devils. They'll speak with new tongues. If they drink any deadly thing, it shall not harm them. Did he or did he not say that in Mark 16? He did. He did. So we would be less than wise to say that's not a true statement, right? Less than wise. I'm not calling anybody dumb today. We'd be less than wise to say that's not a true statement. So, practically, how many people 
have you laid hands on this week? Don't raise your hand. You don't even have to look at me. I'll look at the floor. How many people have you laid hands on? Because he said you'll lay hands on the sick and they'll recover. He didn't say you'd fast and pray for them to be set free. He said you'll lay hands on the, on the sick and they'll recover. He said you'll cast out devils, right? Right? Did he say that? He said you'd speak with new tongues. Did he say that? So practically, what does that look like? That looks like I'm laying hands on the sick. That looks like I'm casting out devils. It looks like I'm speaking in tongues. It's, it's easy, right? It's simple. It's not easy. It's simple. There's a difference. I've learned. The Lord's taught me the difference in easy and simple. They're not the same. Many times it's very simple but not very easy. They're not synonymous terms, but we've lumped them together many times. So that's what I mean. What the Lord has been teaching me is this. What I really believe, what I really believe, there's a practical expression of that belief. Hence, if I really believe something, there's an area of my life where you can look at it and you can say, yep, he believes that because that's what he's doing. I don't do it to prove who I am. I do it because it's who I am. So it's not something I'm trying to make happen. It's something, it's a fruit that comes out of me because of who I am. Because I know who I am. And I know that this is what Jesus said happens through, through me. Does that mean I get it right 100% of the time? No. <laughs> Absolutely not. Because we're learning. We're hearing. Hebrews 5 said what? Those who by reason of Use, reason of use, have their senses exercised to discern. So by reason of, that like goes back to that thing about exercising. When you haven't used something and you start using it, yeah, it hurts. can't help it, honey. You're so beautiful, and you're sitting right here. My wife started exercising again. She's just spot on. She's doing an amazing job. Yesterday, we went to the lake uh, to uh, our daughter's in-laws, and they have jet skis, and uh, we went a few times a few weeks ago before, and when we went, I drove and Tina rode, but this time, we went and put gas in, and I said, I want you to drive. So I sat on the back, and she was riding. It was funny. It was fun, but she would... The gas on the thing is really sensitive, right? So she would hit it, and we would do this, and she'd let go, and we'd do this. <laughs> and then we'd be going, and the boat would come, and the wake would be coming, and she'd let go, and we'd do this, and she'd hit the gas, and we'd do this. <laughs> and then we rode, I don't know, what, 30 minutes or so? And she got the hang of it. But we got off, and she got up to the table, <clears throat> and she was going to grab her water off the table, and her hand was doing this. <laughs> she said, I can't even hold the water. Because she hadn't used those muscles in her forearms and hands. Because when you drop the, the trigger on it is the gas. It's not this, it's this. So she's holding on with these, these two fingers and working the gas. Well, these three and a thumb, fingers and thumb. Anyway, and working the gas with these. So when she gets through, she's like, I can't even hardly squeeze my hand. Her hand was just trembling like this right here. She's like, I can't hardly squeeze my hand. And her, she had that awesome forearm pump, you know. And uh, so... Those muscles 
hadn't been exercised, hadn't been used. So when she used them for an extended period of time and they haven't been used, her body said, hello. <laughs> and she's like, huh. I didn't know that was there. You know, you start exercising any part of your body, especially legs. I love to see people who, who work legs, who don't know work legs, and they walk like this. And you don't sit down, you plop. You just get close and you go, you just let go. Because it hurts way too much to try to control that descent. So you just get there, if it's the couch or whatever, you go, yep, this works, boom. And then you just pray you don't have to get up. Jesus, come. Come quickly before I have to stand up. But what is the culture that we want to establish? Is it my belief system? Is it what I've been indoctrinated with? What is the culture? Here's what I want to put. uh, I want to give clarity, but not a wall. And here's what it is. I want to give you the one that Jesus gave when he taught, when his disciples said, Lord, teach us to pray. He said, okay. He said, pray like this. Pray, therefore, like this. Our Father who's in heaven, hallowed, holy is your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's the culture that I want here in the river. On earth as it is in heaven. Is there sickness and disease in heaven? Is there poverty and abuse in heaven? Depravity in heaven. Where's Jesus? It's not a trick question. He's in heaven. (laughs) And I was like, where's Jesus? He's lost Jesus. The man lost Jesus in a whole, in a 30-minute service. He lost Jesus. He said earlier he wanted to find Jesus in the room, and now he can't find him. What are we going to do? Jesus is in heaven, and I'm seated in him, right? I'm not trying to fool anybody. I'm trying to be as simple as I can be. He's seated in heaven. We're seated in him. So What's real to him should be real to us. What's accepted to him should be accepted to us, and what's not accepted. I'm not talking about people. I'm talking about on earth as it is in heaven. When we really love him and have his love that we read about in 1 John working through us, we'll love people through their mess because we'll be able to see that every man was created in the image of God. Every woman was created in the image of God. Now, what they've done to mar that image, that's totally different. But inside of them is the gift of God placed in there, waiting to be redeemed when they believe into Jesus and accept his salvation. And we have the privilege to look past the exterior into the interior, into the heart, and say "There's God's put something in there that belongs to him, and if you'll believe him, he can have it. That's good stuff. That gets me excited. creating a culture where the heart of God is known and the will of God is manifested. The word heart means this. Our innermost character, our feelings and inclination. Our heart deals with our motives and our intention. Does that make sense? That's not too hard. Our heart deals with our motives and intention. You know, you say somebody do something mean, they shoot a dog. That's a hard-hearted person. Why? Because their motives and their intentions seemed cruel. Right? 
don't know. I don't, I'm just happy, y'all. I'm happy. And I don't remember who told me this. I heard it the other day. <laughs> if you don't know someone's heart and intentions, you can make a mess. It may have been Stephen that told me this. But there was this old guy, this, and he was taking a buddy hunting. His buddy was from up north. He had never been deer hunting before. And he went to this farm, and he went up to, he said, hold on, you wait here. I'm going to go and ask the old farmer if, if we can uh, hunt. <laughs> I'm sorry. I know the punchline. Ah, hold it together. So he came out, and he said, I can't believe that old scoundrel. I've known him for years. I've helped him on his farm. Ah, snap, I messed it up. (laughs) I messed it up. Never mind, forget it. I'll tell you later. No, he goes in. The ass sale guy says, can I hunt? And he said, yeah, but you got to do me a favor. He said, what is it? He said, I've got a donkey that's been like a pet to me, and it's, it's dying, and it I need to have it put down. The vet checked it said it needs to be put down. Will you shoot the donkey for me? He said, yeah, I'll shoot the donkey for you. So he goes out, and he tells his friend, that old scoundrel, I've known him. I've helped him on his farm. He won't let us hunt. He looks over the fence, bam, and shoots his donkey. And when he's doing that, he's kind of chuckling. He hears, bam, bam, bam. He said, what are you doing? He said, I can't believe he done you that way. I shot three of his cows. (laughs) See, he didn't know his heart, (laughs) and his motives weren't clear. They, that man lost a donkey and three cows that day. That's why you should be a man of integrity. Your heart and your motives and intentions should be true, not trying to fool your friends. Uh, that was all free. But your heart, it deals with your motives and intentions. And here's where I want to, here's where I, if we have to stop today, we'll stop right here. Where it says the heart of God is known because here's where we miss it. All right, here's what we missed in the church, and I'm gonna, I want to bring a passage of Scripture in that's familiar that many times causes us to scratch our head, but it's Ephesians chapter 3. He says, in the, this is a, a prayer of Paul's in Ephesians. He said in this part in verse 19, uh, he said that you might know the love of God, which, the love of Christ, which passes knowledge, that you might be filled with all the fullness of God. So Paul says, here's my prayer. I want you to know something you can't know. That's encouraging, isn't it? If we just take it at face value, I want you to know something you can't know. That'd be just like walking in the house, tell your kids, you get everything done I told you to do? You didn't tell me anything to do, but you should have known what I wanted you to do. I didn't say husbands and wives, Stephen. I said your kids. Mel's not even, oh, yes, she is in here. Hey, Mel. <clears throat> no, so let me just break that down for you. He said that you might know. I want you to know. The first word know there is the word gnosko, and here's what it means. To learn to know a person through direct personal experience. Oh, that's good. The next one, the word knowledge means this, human knowledge or understanding. So when Paul said, here's what I'm praying he said, I'm praying that you will experience God in such a, experience Christ in such a personal, real way that your natural understanding can't wrap itself around it. He's bigger than the book. He said, I want you to know him in a way that's beyond knowing. Now, that makes us scratch our head because we have a Western mindset of learning a Greek mindset of learning, which means this. If you give me enough information, I'll know the facts, and that's it. 
So we can have a lot of facts with absolutely no practical experience of what those facts look like in the real world. Hence, a lot of college graduates who have a lot of book knowledge and no practical sense think they, on top of the world, go in and get the rug jerked out from under them because they have no way of taking what they learned on paper and put it into practical use in their lives. Eastern mindset, Eastern culture is totally different. That's why they would have apprentices. If they knew something, the way they knew it is they had worked with that person, and they did exactly what they did. When they carved a piece of wood, they carved. When the, when the uh, mentor carved a piece of wood, they carved a piece of wood. When they cut a board, they cut a board. So they were doing it as they did it. That was how they learned. I, I remember, and I shared this Friday night, I remember, and I can't remember what I was reading it in. It was along the lines of studying this word, no. And I th- it was monks somewhere. And they went to the monks, and they said, here are the facts that in this certain region, you know that all the world's coffee is grown in a certain uh, window uh, of the world, right around the equator. All the coffee's grown in that area, and then it's shipped all over. That's, so just the countries that are around the equator has the climate for growing coffee. It's a fact. Don't really believe me or not. It's a fact. So they said something to this effect that, that this is the only place that coffee will grow. Showed him the facts. And he said, so do you believe me? He said, I don't know. He said, what do you mean you don't know? He said, until I go and I see coffee in that region, in that climate growing, I don't know that that's where coffee will grow because I haven't experienced it. But what's been handed down from generation to generation, the culture in modern church is I'll give you a lot of facts about a man named Jesus that I have never personally encountered. I'm not saying I don't know him. I'm saying there might be some who don't know him. They know about him. Old Tiger Woods playing golf today at the Wyndham. He's in North Carolina. (laughs) Tiger Woods is here, right? I think it's great he's here. That's awesome. Anyway, I won't go there. He's here. He's a man. He's playing. There can be people. Listen, there there are people, I'm sure, who know everything about Tyler, Tiger Woods. Not Tyler. That's my son-in-law. <laughs> they know Tiger They know his statistics. They know how old he was when he started playing. They know what happened to his dad. They know all the facts, Jack. They might know more about him than he knows about himself. I mean, they could walk up and go, Tiger, you're my best friend. I'm so glad to see you. And Tiger go, I don't know you. I've never seen you before in my life. So knowing facts about somebody does not mean you know them. So knowing facts about Jesus does not mean you have a personal relationship with him. I'm not trying to get anybody to lose their salvation today. That's not what my goal is. But my goal is this. If you know him, then you know you know him. And I'm not talking about a warm, fuzzy feeling you had. I'm talking about you. He said old things have passed away, all things became new. When that took place on the inside of you and you met this man called Jesus, there was something that happened. Your spirit came alive. 
You're going to know that. I don't care if you cried. I don't care if you laughed. I don't care if you sat there and you just scratched your head because you couldn't comprehend what was going on. But that's knowing him beyond knowledge. When we really know him, we don't have a head knowledge about him. When we know him, there's something that happens on the inside of us. And people can try to talk you out of it, but you know, I met that man. I know who I was before I met him, and I know who I am now. So my encouragement is this. If you don't know him that way, then today's a great day to know him. John 6, 40, very simple. I have many I was going to share. John 6, 40 says, And this is the will of him who sent me, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him may have everlasting life. You, the way you go in, get into relationship with the Son is not confessing all your sins. Now, if you confessed, if you were told confess all your sins, you can be born again, it doesn't mean you weren't born again. Okay, I'm not trying to confuse you. Maybe look like it, but I'm not. But what gets you born again is not your ability to confess all your sins. What gets you born again is believing in him. Throughout the scriptures, Jesus said in John 3, it's he who believes in me, I give eternal life. It's not who confesses all their sins. It's not who does all the right stuff. The, the sole way, door into eternal life is believing that Jesus is who he said he is. When we believe into him, and that word in there literally means into, but I put my faith into him. That's where salvation comes in. When we believe into him, the Bible says that we have everlasting, eternal. That word everlasting, eternal means life as God has it, without end. It's already the life and nature of God's placed on the inside of us. Now, the process is Romans 12, 1 and 2, and that's being tr the transformation of our mind that we can demonstrate the good and perfect will of God. But the process itself, the, the act itself took place at believing. We become new. 2 Corinthians 5, old things are passed away, all things become new, right? So I'm not trying to say, uh, if you didn't do it my way, then you're not saved. Now, what I'm saying is this. When we believe in him, we'll know him. And that word know is not, I have a lot of facts about Jesus. Is that I had an encounter, and here's your encounter could look totally different from mine. I have, I am growing. I haven't arrived. I'm growing past the place that where I can look at how somebody else demonstrates their life and love on the outside, and saying, "Well, they don't love God as much as this person, or they love this, or they love more, or because of the outward expression." Because you can mimic an outward expression and have no inward change. So when there's an inward change, there's an encounter with the living God. It'll look different. You know what? We're all different. Thank God. Thank God that he loved us enough to not make everybody the same. You might be thinking, no, if they were like me, it would be a better place. I know, but don't say that. People think I'm, <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> I know, I know. <laughs> I'm not going back there. So creating a culture where the heart of God is known and the will of God is manifested. And the word will means this, the determination and choice. The determination and choice of God. And that's where John 5, Jesus answered and said, Then most assuredly I say to you, the Son can do nothing of himself but what he sees the Father do. For whatever he does, the Son also does in like manner. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all things that he himself does, and he will show him greater works than these that you may marvel. Manifest. Last thing, I'll, I'll close with this. 
that the will of God is manifested. So we, when we know the heart of God, then we can manifest the will of God. And he, he said his will here is that everyone would believe in him and have everlasting life. But to break it down a little more, we can see the will of God. For Hebrews chapter 1, I think verse 4, says that Jesus is the express image of God. So will literally means heart is the, the desire and inclination. The will is the, the manifestation of the heart many times. Well, that's what it is. <laughs> so we could say, when we say that the will of God is manifested, what we're literally saying is that so we don't just have principle without practice. That we don't have principle without practice. That we're willing to step out and do what God's told us to do. See, Jesus did this. Mark, Matthew chapter 9. Um, Matthew 9, 35 through 38. And Jesus went about all the cities and villages, and here's what he was doing. He was teaching in their synagogues. He was preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and he was healing every sickness and every disease among the people. When he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion. See, that's where his heart and his will slammed into each other, and he went out and he did something about it. So once we know the heart of God, then we will see the will of God manifested. And we'll see that he is a God who has compassion, that no matter how depraved or, uh, uh, or deprived the person is, that there's a compassion of God that says, if I get to them, they can change. Doesn't matter. Everything that you see can be changed in an instant. 